Hi there. I'm Paul Straw, and this is episode 60 of Does Not Compute. In the middle of this holiday season, I'd like to take a second to encourage you to give generously to those in need. Those of us in the tech industry are so fortunate to be where we are, and it's important to give back. I'm sure you already have some worthy causes in mind, but if you're looking for ideas, here are a few organizations that are doing great work and deserve your support. The Trevor Project, National Resources Defense Council, Planned Parenthood Federation of America, Southern Poverty Law Center, American Civil Liberties Union, Fight for 15. And now, does not compute. Recording the podcast, back in the back in the old podcast minds. Yeah, except for now on your camera, I see a different view. Yeah, I moved over the last week since we since we recorded. I know you were talking about it, and then suddenly you're like, "Oh, I moved yesterday." <laughs> it's pretty crazy. Yeah, it's cool though. I saw uh, maybe a tweet, a tweet, Instagram. I saw a social media posting where you posted your neighborhood, and it seems cool. It's a decent neighborhood. Yeah, we we have like a pretty pretty good view here. A nice big space for the oh. VR, so I can I can walk around in VR, get lost in that world. So. I went to Thanksgiving dinner with some of Jimmy's friends from school and the there was quite a discussion around VR and AR and that was pretty cool. And one of the people there is an aspiring VR game dev. So he was telling me all about that, uh, which I thought was, was pretty awesome. So yeah, it was fun. I have yet to try it. I want to. Um, maybe I'll get around to buying something, but. I highly recommend it. It's, it's quite quite a good time. Yeah, it sounds like it. So, uh, speaking of change, I'm sure people have seen me tweeting about it a little bit, but I have found a new gig that I'll be starting in January. Pretty stoked about product job. Working on a product, product job. job. I've never worked product before, Paul, and I've been kind of looking forward to it. I'm excited. Is this is this with a big team or... I mean, I already know this, but I'm asking for the benefit of the listeners. Just me. Is this me. big team? Just you. Okay. Just me. So maybe we can we can probably talk about that a little bit because I've collected lots of uh, data on my, my job search. Um, I ended up applying to like 20 different places and I heard back from, I got emails responding from maybe four or five places. So I assuming, you know, in the next few weeks, I'm going to get blasted with some more emails. Um, but I had a few interviews. Uh, the best, the coolest interview I thought I had was actually with GitLab. I had a few with them and, uh, you know, just talking with a couple of their lead devs, talking with their team, the interviews were great. They did a really good job at making you feel comfortable. Uh, and the tech, the technical interview was actually just me and one of their lead devs. We opened up a JS fiddle. We're just hacking, you know, he was just asking me questions. We were writing JavaScript together, which I thought was really cool. Um, and he didn't really try to trick me at all. He just asked, he, basically, he wanted to know what my functional knowledge was. You know, like, do I know how hosting works? And do I know, uh, basically, some of the trickier parts of JavaScript? But he didn't frame it in the way of a trick question, so to speak, which I thought was pretty awesome. But when it came down to it, I had an offer to work on a product that actually I helped oversee a little bit um, six, eight months ago working for Octopus. And so, yeah, I'm taking over the reins of the project that, that includes, you know, Rails development, bug fixing features, et cetera. It includes like front end, all the front end development it includes, God forbid, DevOps. Um, but I mean, you're just going to slap it on Heroku and call it good. <laughs> uh, yeah. So there's... <laughs> 
Hashtag, <laughs> Hashtag DevOps. DevOps. Slap it on Heroku and call it good. Yeah. Well, Josiah, Josiah said something funny to me. He was like, man, if you want to get some interviews, just put DevOps on your resume and you'll get hit up real quick. He was like, that's not what I want to do, but it worked. Uh, so yeah, anyway, like it, it's just me, but I think it's going to be fun. I originally, I was starting to look around for a place where I would be working on it with a team of developers, but this opportunity came up and I feel like it was too good to turn down because I've really just wanted more than working with a team or more than working on a product. I wanted something that I could feel proud of in a sense. And I think in consulting, a lot of times you work on a product and then six months down the road, they hire somebody else and it's different. Right. Yeah. I mean, you get that sense of ownership for a little bit while the project is going on, but then you have to give it away. And then you watch it kind of, unfortunately, a lot of times you watch it kind of fall apart a little bit and just Mm -hmm. go into a state Mm -hmm. of disrepair or changes are made that just are, you may not necessarily disagree with, but you were just a contractor. So it doesn't matter what you think really. Yeah. Or startups go under or, you know, they sell and it's just, you know, so I wanted something that I could actually have an impact on long term. And I can definitely do that here. And the people that I'm going to be working with trust me completely in terms of um, the decisions I'm going to make and and what I want to do. So that's, that's, you can't ask for a better, you know, better coworkers than people that, that trust you. So uh, I'm really looking forward to it. Yeah, I am super busy finishing up stuff with Octopus and going to be starting that gig uh, late December, early January. That's really exciting, man. I'm I'm happy for you. I think that's going to be a, a really great opportunity for you to kind of round things out in a yeah, way. Yeah, I too. think so. Uh, again, it's I do have a lot of Rails experience. I don't consider myself an advanced Rails dev. I consider myself a capable Rails dev. And what I want to become is an advanced Rails dev. And I think this gives me an opportunity to do that. And, you know, what people feel about Rails aside, because you always see the tweets and the medium posts or whatever talking about how Rails is old and the Rails way is dead. And I don't think that at all. I think that Rails is still a great framework. It's still very capable. Uh, I still really enjoy it. So I'm looking forward to diving deeper into it. And Ruby itself, I really enjoy Ruby. I like their language quite a bit. Yeah, Ruby is just such a pleasure. It's it's really great. And I mean, if you listen to the tweets about Rails, Rails has been dead since it was <laughs> brought into the world. Like yeah. it's, people have been saying Rails is dead literally since version one. It's it's ridiculous. And you know what? It's still around, and it's still super pleasant to work with. And you can still make really cool. Yeah, stuff. Yeah, and with I think really that quickly. I think that what like how your mileage varies is is kind of the thought that you put into it, right? So if you just take if you take the quote unquote rails way as it is, uh, you know, things can become difficult as you start scaling your app. Well, not scaling, but like building different types of features, right? Because obviously rails was built with Basecamp in mind. And uh, that doesn't mean though that it's a one trick pony at all. And so all it does, all it requires is you to do a little bit of research and a little bit of thinking about how to implement a feature, right? And then from there, it's totally fine, you know? So, uh, I mean, you and I were kind of kicking back ideas earlier we're just talking about like how how would you approach building a rails app in 2016 uh having knowledge from node apps and and newer frameworks coming about and the cool thing is that you can take many of those ideas and you can apply it back to your rail stack without having to rewrite from scratch yeah definitely i mean especially around stuff like sprockets and the asset pipeline you can you can easily swap those out for more modern technologies if that's something that you want to do if that's something you're going to get big benefits from that kind of one of the nice things about rails is that there is a rails way but there's almost always 
a way to get around the Rails way and do things differently if there's a workflow that works really well for you. Yeah, completely. Like you said, the asset pipeline, just Google that and you'll find a million different articles talking about swapping it out with... I've personally used uh, Rails Browserify in the past and it worked great. I could just start using my modules. Uh, I mean, there's tons of people moving from... Uh, from you know the asset pipeline to Webpack even, and that's that's totally fine. Again, it yep. just it comes down to really thinking about your your cost uh, benefit for what you're doing, and not you know what the fads are, what other what someone else's cost benefit is. It comes down to what the cost benefit is for your specific case, and then doing that. And that's one thing that's going to be interesting as I transition from. Uh, what did you say, Paul? Building greenfield apps, just basically building new things from scratch all the time. Yeah, yeah, greenfield projects. Yeah, I'm transitioning from that to transitioning to maintaining and building new features, not new projects. And I'm really looking forward to that. I'm looking forward to diving more into testing because obviously I'll have time for that. And it's very important for businesses. Uh, I'll have time to drive into analytics and numbers and really think about features and how performance affects them and all all that stuff. So I think that, like you said, it's going to help round me out quite a bit in in places where I don't necessarily have lots of firsthand experience yet. So uh, I'm pretty stoked about it. Another, I guess, another useful, not useful, but kind of cool thing that happened to me as I started doing different interviews, especially technical interviews, is... Uh, I kind of felt validated in a sense. So uh, obviously everyone that listens to this knows that I struggle with uh, imposter syndrome a lot. <laughs> and I had a couple people tweet at me maybe a few weeks ago, basically saying, hey, what you just said there, that was imposter syndrome. Uh, and uh, But as I started going through these interviews and these technical interviews, I felt validated because in one of them, uh, you know, I'd never really considered myself like a senior, like a lead dev, right? And one of them, we were kind of working on a, a problem together. And he's like, well, yeah, you're definitely a senior level developer. And no one has ever told me that before. I guess like no one, no stranger has ever told me that before. People that I... Yeah, I was going to say that's <laughs> right, been your right. job but I've never had, I mean, I've had people that have <laughs> watched me grow say that, but I've never had a complete stranger that has those credentials. Sure. That. Yeah. I, it, it feels more more valid, I guess, in a way when it comes from somebody who, who is interviewing you, especially. Yeah, totally. It kind of took me back for a second. I was like, well, I've never, and it's stupid because people have told me that before. Like you've told me that before, but, uh, it, like you said, it's different when someone just, it's like if you're a musician and you're in a band and your, your friends are like, oh yeah, you guys are good, <laughs> you know, versus a complete stranger being like, oh, your band's pretty good. Right. Yeah, of course. So did you do any, any particular prep? For the interview process, were there any sites or resources that you used? Um, I can actually publish a bunch of those in the show notes. And I have, I've been using a writing app called Bear for taking all my notes recently because it looks nice. And I have a bunch of notes in there. Uh, but basically what I did was I Googled uh, JavaScript because most of these positions were for front end positions. I Googled JavaScript interview questions and I opened the the top like five in different tabs and just started reading and the majority of them were just kind of like based around the tricky parts of JavaScript and trick questions that people ask you with. Um, but any sort of a specific preparation, I didn't, I didn't start to like try to learn different specific like algorithms or bubble sorts or uh, anything like that. I was more concerned with, is my foundation solid? You know, because I think as, as someone who's interviewed people in the past, I don't necessarily want to know if they've memorized how to solve a problem. I want to know if they have a foundation that allows them to actually stumble upon a solution themselves. 
Sure. I mean, and knowing how to find the answer to the problem is just as important as knowing the answer. Yeah, exactly. And it, it's kind of, it goes back to when I was learning piano in school and I was studying music in college, uh, the teacher would just rail us because we would all just sit in the music. Uh, so the PA center, if Bryn hears this and Sarah, they're going to laugh, but it was like a dark and gloomy place. And it was in Minnesota, so it was cold all winter. And so we would just be like starving college kids banging on these pianos at sticky keys. And so we didn't, you know, like we were really interested in learning how to sight read. We were more interested in memorizing the piece so that we could go and apply for guitar lessons later on. And the teacher would nail us every time. She's like, well, I know you memorized this. So we're going to pull out a different piece and you're going to have to actually play this for me. And so that's what I was concerned about, right, is someone interviewing me knowing that I'd memorized. Because like if you ask someone to answer a question and they answer it almost too quickly, you know, it's they probably memorized something about it and there wasn't a lot of thought involved. And that's what I was concerned with was making sure that my foundation was there, that I could think through problems. So was kind of your philosophy then that if a classic horrible whiteboard problem, invert this binary tree, came up, you would just say, you know what, this is probably not the position for me? Uh, so before I said that, I would have said something like, can I, can I use Google? Can I use documentation? You know, can I, can I use the tools that I will have during my job? to solve this problem you're asking of me. And if they would have said no, then obviously I would have said something like, well, I can't. Or before I have said I can't, I would say, well, this doesn't sound really like a good fit for, for me. Yeah. I mean, kind of almost regardless of whether or not you know the answer to the question, it kind of becomes at that point, I think a, like a philosophical difference. Yeah, exactly. And luckily I didn't get any of those. Uh, I think most of the people that would have asked me those looked at my resume and said, um, you don't have enough backend experience or something along those lines. Or I got a couple like we require like a hard requirement is having a, a four year bachelor's degree in CS or something like that, which is fine. I mean, if they want to do that, then I don't, again, that's probably not a great cultural fit. Uh, but the right. majority of the people that I talked to were pretty open, uh, which I thought was cool. Um, another, I guess, random thing that I thought was, interesting was that um, obviously I'm applying, I applied for remote positions and I, tr and I tried out a few different places and most people in the Valley weren't really accepting of that. I had a few, a few people uh, interviewed, for example, with like iHeartRadio and I interviewed with them. And then like after the interview was done, they're like, yeah, so uh, like relocation and stuff. I was like, well, I mean, my profile says remote, like it says, rem <laughs> you know, and so they're like, oh, unfortunately that's a hard deadline. But uh, the, what's kind of crazy is all I did was put out a couple of tweets and I got much more feedback from Twitter than I did from like LinkedIn jobs or other, other places. And I think mainly, you know, the other places were because recruiters are looking for non-remote positions, but Twitter turned out to be surprisingly useful. And I got DMS from companies that I use every day, which I thought was crazy, uh, that they would be interested. Um, uh, the, the, the craziest one was probably one password because I've used them every day for multiple years, you know, and someone from one password hit me up and like, Hey, you know, this could be a good fit. And I was like, seriously, that would be like, that'd be, that'd be awesome. You know? So anyway, like I, I, I was no. actually surprised about how, how useful Twitter was. And again, you know, that depends on how many followers you have and, and whatever, um, well, I mean, you, you don't have like a crazy amount of followers no. though. So that, that's pretty cool that. Even even with a like kind of a normal ish number of followers, I would say you were able to get some responses. Yeah, like and that. I I think the more well, I guess if I wanted to distill that down into something more meaningful, it would be that 
when I wasn't going through these like really starchy channels, I had more meaningful interactions with people. You know, when I wasn't trying to shoot through the recruiter wall, I had more, I had more meaningful interactions with the people that I would, I would have actually been working with, you know, uh, which I thought was really cool. And most of it was like, yeah, I'll reach out to my boss or reach out to my CEO or, Hey, I reached out to my CEO and he wants to talk to you. And I thought that was pretty cool. Um, and also props for GitLab because they have a pretty grueling process, but they make it really, um, nice, you know, and their process all ends with, uh, everyone that gets hired, talks to their CEO. They all have to go through, you know, the person with the vision, which I thought was pretty awesome. Um, but yeah, uh, I found value in things that I wouldn't find that I didn't think I would find value in and vice versa. I didn't really find value in things that kind of market themselves. It's like, Hey, uh, we're going to get you something. So yeah, that was, it was pretty interesting. And again, like I said, I have, I took notes on everything, like who all I applied to, responses I heard back, um, salary ranges and all that stuff. So I can, I can write a blog post or something if people are interested in that as well. Nice. Yeah. I would definitely love to see that. I mean, I, uh, personally, I've always been a big fan of like salary transparency and just transparency around job searching and jobs in general, I think is, is important and useful for people in yeah, the industry. Yeah, it really is. And another thing, and I don't really know if this is um, really, I guess, maybe it does. I don't know. So I, you know, talking, obviously I don't live in the Bay Area anymore and I don't live in California anymore. And so I live up in Vermont, which is much smaller. And so it's interesting because I've never held a job with a salary position outside of California. And so what was interesting to me and kind of eye-opening to me was applying for places that weren't based out of the Valley and then like seeing salary salary calculators and things like that and seeing the salary differences. And obviously I know that's due to, um, you know, cost of living and like rent indexes and all that stuff. But that was a really big eye-opening to eye-opener for me because I've never had a job a salary job outside of working in California. So I thought that was an interesting tidbit, uh, using a salary, salary calculator and being like, oh, okay. Yeah. It's, uh, California is for sure a, there's a steep <laughs> drop off when you're outside. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And the interesting, yeah, usually. usually and the interesting thing is that when you're in, when you're in, well, I guess it depends on who the person, but like, for example, when I left California, my rent obviously went way down. So if my salary were to drop, I wouldn't really be taking a pay cut in the big scheme of things. So I thought that was right. interesting as well. So I had to learn a lot about like salary expectations and what's realistic for, for me to ask and, and things like that, which I'd never really looked into because my first job, I didn't even really have to send a resume. It was just kind of like a, well, I work here now, <laughs> that sort of thing. So <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, we asked you to join like three, four times probably even more before I started at Octopus. Uh, yeah, I, I'm pretty sure I went out to Octopus in 2011, maybe it was, and I did some contracting. And that's when you decided you hate ginger. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, James tried to kill me with, <laughs> with a wad of ginger uh, wrapped in a salad wrap. Um, but yeah, it's been, a, it's been a cool ride. I'm thankful for all the experience for sure. I'm looking forward to product work, like working on something, like getting follow through on something, I guess, is the longest thing I ever worked on on that at Octopus was uh, probably about a year long. And this kind of was crazy too. When I was talking with people during interviews, like, what have you built in the past? You know, I tell them different apps I worked on and they would ask, you know, how long did that take? And the first one I said was four months and they didn't believe me. He was like, what? Remember that, Paul? 
Yeah, yeah, we built some apps pretty quickly at Octopus. But it was it was a good experience. I, I'm also very lucky to have found something quickly. Uh, very, very, yeah. I feel very lucky and, and thankful for that. But, but yeah, it was it was definitely an interesting few weeks trying to trying to like poke around but not like blast it. You know, it was it was interesting. But yeah, it seems like I'm gonna have a lot to talk about in the upcoming shows as I learn something completely new that I've no I know nothing about. <laughs> Learning on demand, right? That should be exciting. Speaking of things that I know nothing about, um, so this week was kind of interesting for me. The The main Imagix support lead was out for Thanksgiving week. We're recording this the weekend after Thanksgiving. But he was out all week on a, on a well-deserved vacation. And so people actually volunteered to take shifts. So people would take, you know, Monday, Tuesday, and volunteer to do those days. Um and so I took two days. I took Wednesday and Thursday of this week, and I was just support. I handled all the support tickets that came in and and just responded to those. And I've done this a few times in the past, but every single time I do it, it just really strikes me how valuable it is for developers to do support stuff at least once in a while. Um, you learn so much about the product and about how users are thinking about the product. And it, it also obviously helps your communication skills. It's just such a, such a great thing. So I, I just really want to recommend to people that if you have a chance to do that, if, you're, if your company has any sort of thing where people can take support shifts, and a, a lot of tech companies do this now, if they have that or if they don't, and you can maybe try to convince people to start doing that, I, I think it's totally really cool. Um, it gives your support people a bit of a break, and trust me, they need it. Because you look at some of these tickets that are coming in every single day, and I I don't know how how people deal with it. It's it's pretty ridiculous sometimes. So it I just I just think that's such a great thing to do. So I'm going to encourage developers if you can try to do some support work. Yeah, you know I actually applied to Automatic. There was that was one of the companies that I applied to, and in there. In talking about working there, they talk about how it's a requirement for every single employee that comes in to work the support tickets for at least a few months. Yeah. So from the start, you're answer you're in the trenches. You know, you're answering support questions, and if you don't know how something works, you figure it out, and then you answer the question, which I think is amazing. Yep. You have to learn every single part of the business, every single part of the product, it, very very quickly because you're not just going to get support questions on the one thing that you work on. You're not going to get questions for the about the front end team. You're going to get questions yep. about billing. You're going to get questions about who knows what, security and just feature requests and all sorts of stuff. And like it, it's a it's a great way to learn a lot about your business really well, quickly. I think even more importantly sure. than learning about the business, and that's super important, I think that when you're in that position, when you're providing support to a user, it helps you build empathy and it helps chip away from... I mean, the God, God complex isn't really the right term here, uh, but I, I think that a lot of programmers, especially when they're isolated from actual users, um, we get this kind of like king complex, if that makes sense. So a king, you know, if he's not around the people that he's, you know, ruling over, not to say programmers are ruling over users, but when you're isolated from from the common people that are using your application, it's really easy to become... Uh, or develop a mindset where you're you're the developer. What you say is right. You know everything about this, and the users are just dumb, right? Uh, I have definitely been around um, 
different people or different, you know, that different people that have like unknowingly hold this sentiment. And even myself in the past, I've struggled with this as well. Like when someone answers a question, I think it's stupid. I'm like, wow, that's stupid. But that's a really bad attitude to have towards that. And when you're in the trenches, when you're answering questions, even the most basic questions, it helps chip away at your pride a little bit, or at least it should, you know, it helps you build empathy for the people that are actually using what you're building. Yeah. I mean, it's really easy when when you see a support ticket come in or when you see some kind of complaint on Twitter or wherever that is and, and somebody's like, well, I couldn't figure out how to save my profile changes. And you're like, well, it's there's a button right there. It's the <laughs> simplest thing. I mean, it's simple to you because you made it maybe. like, And it's so easy to slip into that mindset. But you really have to step back and think like, oh, maybe this isn't as simple as I thought and maybe I need to rethink it because I'm too close to the problem. And I think I, I think that's a really common thing with developers is being too close to the problem. You get too zoomed in, and and doing support work actually really helps pull you back out, so you get a wider view of the whole whole situation, and you can see what the actual problems are. Yeah, being too close to it is hitting it right on the head. And I I, I complain a lot about how people don't read. Um, I'll get questions like, "Oh, how do I do this?" I'm like, "Well, it, it, there's literally an example. It explains it there, but." When I sit and think about it more, uh, I start to think about like how much stuff is thrown at them, how many pop-up ads, how many moto windows are being opened, how many, you know, um, just how much stuff is on a web page and any given web page and how hard it is for users that get blasted by stuff like that for every website they go to. Of course, they're not going to be able to read very well. Or that's a really bad way to put it. Of course, they're not going to be able to instantly know where all the instructions are because there's not a common, there's not like a common pattern really across websites for that. And so one thing I think that can help with that if you, you know, if you feel like people don't know really how to use your interface just by looking at it, apply like take a screenshot and blur it a little bit. Are the controls clear? Are the actions clear? Are the call to actions clear? You know, um, can you still tell hierarchy from, you know, like text hierarchy mm. and, and stuff like that just from like blurring it a little bit. And I think that's kind of how I, th- I think people see stuff. There's not really a blur on the screen, but they are looking at it and they're looking at the thing as a whole. They're not looking at the individual pieces and parsing the individual pieces or looking at the UI as a whole. Um, I mean, that's a whole nother discussion, but yeah, I, I definitely have fallen into that, that problem where I've been too close to it. I'm like, well, of course this makes sense because I made the thing and I feel kind of, um, annoyed is not the right word, but like when, you know, like when you show someone something and they're like, I don't get it you kind of get frustrated a little bit and sometimes you can even get angry. Like, how do you not get this? Well, it feels personal. Yeah. Yeah. I spent, I spent 15 hours making this feature and you don't get it. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's easy to feel indignant and, and we just can't do that as developers. We need to be as hard as it is. We, we need to really, really spend more time listening to users. So Go listen to go listen to some users. It's like that episode of It's Only Sunny where it's Mac Day and then they have the pillow and you're only allowed to scream into the pillow once a day. Like developers should have a pillow they can scream into <laughs> before responding. I don't think once a day is nearly enough though. Well that was the rule on the show. Dennis could only scream into it once a day and he screams into it and it's hilarious. Thank you, as always, for listening to today's episode. Please remember to give to those in need. <laughs>